Shalom. I'm reading from Romans 8, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation awaiting those who are in union with the Messiah Yeshua. Why? Because the Torah of the Spirit, which produces this life in union with Messiah Yeshua, has set me free from the Torah of sin and death. For what the Torah could not do by itself, because it lacked the power to make the old nature cooperate, God did by sending his own son as a human being, with a nature that with a nature like our own sinful one, but without sin. God did this in order to deal with sin, and in so doing, he executed the punishment against sin in human nature, so that the just requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not run our lives according to what our nature wants, but according to what the Spirit wants. For those who identify with their old natures, for those who identify with their old nature set their minds on the things of the old nature, but those who identify with the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Having one's mind controlled by the old nature is death, but having one's mind controlled by the Spirit is life and shalom. For the mind controlled by the old nature is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's Torah. Indeed, it cannot. Thus, those who identify with their old nature cannot please God. But you, you do not identify with your old nature, but with the Spirit, provided the Spirit of God is living inside you. For anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of the Messiah doesn't belong to him. However, if the Messiah is in you, then on the one hand, the body is dead because of sin. But on the other hand, the Spirit is giving life because God considers you righteous. And if the Spirit of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead is living in you, then the one who raised the Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit living in you. So then, brothers, we don't owe a thing to our old nature that would require us to live according to our old nature. For if you live according to your old nature, you will certainly die. But if by the Spirit you keep putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to bring you back again into fear. On the contrary, you received the Spirit who makes us sons and by whose power we cry out, Abba, that is, dear Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah, provided we are suffering with him in order to also be glorified with him. I think one more verse. I don't think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. Thank you, Linda. This has been quite a week. Good, bad, and ugly. Um, on the ugly side... Although, again, as I mentioned earlier, when we prayed for Israel, 
even in the ugly times, especially during the ugly times, God is in control. Amen? Amen. Been difficult. Uh, this has been obviously a critical time in Israel's history, current history. And, and we who love Israel and are committed to seeing God's good plans for Israel and through Israel come about, um, we've, we've been heavy-hearted. The number of fatalities been climbing um, on the part of the IDF, and there was news, we're not sure if that's reality, that a soldier had been kidnapped. He may actually be dead, which um, Lord knows. Um, and there, there's some comment or possibility that this campaign will not be sufficient to put Hamas out of business with their, um, with their missiles, but that they may emerge, that they may, excuse me, emerge stronger. By the way, here, here is a very odd and strange fact. Um, the majority of the Arab nations have been rooting for Israel. Did you know that? Uh, not so much out of love for Israel, but of hatred for Hamas. Um, but in any event, it's been very difficult, and you can understand what, what it's been like um, for the people. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember that um, I mentioned that the first day when we were in Israel, uh, we were welcomed by the missiles flying over, um, and uh, the Iron Dome uh, exploding those missiles, and Joy and Isaiah and I had to dash to a safe room. Um, been difficult times, and uh, oddly enough, this is also the week of Tisha B'Av, which is uh, observed next Tuesday, which according to tradition uh, was the time that both temples, the first and second temples, were destroyed. Um, and let me just take a moment and explain that this was not about destruction. Uh, per se. The destruction of the temple was a severe trauma for the nation of Israel both times because it made them feel as if God had uh, uh, deserted them and rejected them, uh, which obviously is not the case. Um, the, the rabbis also uh, include Tisha B'Av as the time to mourn other catastrophes such as the expulsion of the Jews from Spain and Portugal in 1492 and all kinds of other um, very difficult circumstances. So you can understand that it is considered a time of mourning. Uh, the Book of Lamentations is recited and poems of lament called Kinot uh, the talk about the sorrows that Israel has gone through um, has also are also part of the customs 
But oddly enough, uh, the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av, which is this Shabbat, and the Shabbat after, both of them have been selected um, to highlight not only comfort, but um, expectation of redemption. This Shabbat, the Haftorah, the additional reading from the prophets, is taken from Isaiah 1, 1 to 27. As you know, um, it speaks about the um, Israel's sin, but the next chapter after that goes on to speak about Israel uh, being the centerpiece of God's redemption for all of mankind. And then next Shabbat is called Shabbat Nachamu, uh, if you heard one of the songs, um, it refers to Isaiah 40. And so there is some kind of a sense in a traditional Jewish community that despite the catastrophe, dis- despite the time of mourning, um, that God somehow sees fit to bring about an element of comfort and encouragement. So as I was looking at this passage um, and preparing to present a message, um, I I was somewhat torn because uh, the theme, both for what's going on in Israel and also what's going on uh, with the day of mourning on Tisha B'Av, really doesn't seem to have anything to do with the themes that we've been pursuing Uh, for the last few Shabbatot, and that is what takes place in our life because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh. Um, And yet I realized that during the most difficult times in our life, that is when we especially need to understand God's presence and to be led by the Spirit of God. Can you say amen to that? Because without that, we can sink into into despair and discouragement, and all of us need to be uh, equipped and uh, strengthened by the Ruach so that we can then turn around and comfort others. You know, often we're just self-consumed, and and we look at the Lord and say, Lord, um, I'm hurting. So would you please fix me, but I really don't care about so-and-so and so-and-so. And And the Lord's response is, wrong. I want to fix you, yes, because I love you, but part of the the plan is that I want to pour into you so that it would overflow and impact other folks. This is part of the theme, um, a general theme of our vision that we see in Isaiah 62, Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. We tend to have a very narrow focus to our vision. You know, it's me, myself, and I, and maybe my family, maybe a couple of friends. But what God wants us to be able to do is have a broad vision and see the bigger picture And then understand that whether things appear to be difficult or not, he's at work and that things are moving in his direction 
And then he wants us to participate and to engage in that. And so in order for us to be able to do that, as Isaiah tells us in chapter 62, we have to be willing to go through the gate, to leave the safety of the harbor, to use another metaphor, and go out into the sea where the fish are. And God has to give us a heart and a vision for that, but part of the picture is that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit who will teach us and, and lead us into all truth and equip us to be able to share with others. So a couple of weeks ago, Rabbi David talked about the polar opposites of living by the flesh and living by the Spirit. And I imagine if we were to go around and ask for opinions, uh, I'm sure we would get twice as many opinions as there are people here today on what it means to walk after the spirit versus walking after the flesh. And for some of us, I think, maybe most of us, it seems to be one of these things that's way up there in Mars that we'll have to take a... uh, uh, a spaceship and go to Mars in order to bring it down and be able to put it in terms that we understand. And the truth is, as in all things, there is a yes and a no kind of an answer. We don't have a rule book that says in situation A, you go to, to paragraph uh, one, sub uh, subcategory B, um, and do steps one, two, and three, which is what we love to be able to do. You know, you want people who will tell you, tell me already what I'm supposed to do. And, of course, folks like to oblige you and get on the air and and write books and so on in which they give you the ten best steps to such and such. I don't see that the Word of God gives us the ten best steps to walking after the Spirit. That's on one hand. On the other hand, Scripture describes to us what it looks like when we walk after the Spirit and when we walk after the flesh. So we have some idea of, okay, I'm really out of line with God's will, with what the Lord has in mind. Ergo, I must be walking in the flesh. I'm doing something that proceeds from me and really isn't something that pleases the heart of God. And sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But as we learn to listen to God, and as we put Him front and center in our life, He is quite capable to get across to us, to communicate. I have that basic conviction, folks, that God wired me, that He knows each and every single one of my nerve endings, and is quite capable of seeing to it that I somehow get it. You know, there's freedom in knowing that because otherwise you say, oh, I got to figure it out, I got to figure it out. And the short version is, no, you don't need to figure it out. Maybe the master of the universe can communicate to you if you listen. And so I had a uh, fresh revelation of that on the trip to Israel. And as I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, um, uh, Israeli drivers are like New York drivers on 
steroids. Um, and it took some getting used to, especially when we got lost quite a bit, and um, and we're going running around and trying to figure out, okay, do I go this way, do I go that way? And while we're trying to figure out, I look up in the rear view mirror, and there's someone who is looking to get very familiar with me. <laughs> a little too familiar. And... Uh, Initially, I kind of shrugged it off, but then I remember we were um, driving along the coast, the uh, shoreline of the Dead Sea. It was a long, long road, uh, a two-lane road, and um, with turns and so on. And it was hot, and uh, you know what it does to your disposition after you've been driving for a while? in the heat. Um, then I look up and I see someone who is again trying to get real familiar. And uh, something in me kicked in, honorary uh, part, and I said, <laughs> I said, oh no you don't. And so for about 15 minutes I played chicken with this guy. Uh, Stomping on the brakes, uh, and basically uh, trying to communicate <coughs> to this guy. That his um, imminent pr presence was unwelcome. And uh, after about 10 minutes, he eventually got it. And uh, Joy looked at me as if to say, um, husband, what's going on with you? <laughs> and then when he, because what this guy was trying to do, he was literally trying to push me to go faster. There was no place where I can turn off so that he could pass me. And uh, after about 10, 15 minutes of that, he finally found a place and he pulled off. And uh, I leaned on the horn to convey my sore displeasure um, and felt good about it for about two nanoseconds um, after which I heard the uh, still small voice saying did you really need to do that? and so um, at this point in my life I'm beginning to recognize the voice of God And, um, and I repented. I said, Father, please forgive me. Um, not only was it stupid and dangerous, but it, it wasn't according to, to your style of doing things. And so the rest of the trip, um, I had all kinds of opportunities to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. We drove 1,350 miles in a country that is 300 miles north to south. <laughs> and uh, people were lining up to get familiar with me, um, including buses. And so um, that for me was a real live object um, of what to do 
and what not to do, how to walk after the spirit versus how to walk after the flesh. Now, if you read scripture carefully, you will not find anything that relates to uh, playing chicken with uh, an obnoxious driver. So it's not in there. However, it does speak about the fact that God has his way of doing things. And each Shabbat we recite uh, in the Torah service the, the words from scripture that say, his ways are ways of pleasantness and all his paths are shalom. Now, we don't need to have a long list that says, okay, shalom looks like this, 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 and this. But simply, if we are endeavoring to walk after the Spirit, then the Spirit of God will tell us, somehow convey to us. And what we see here in this fairly complicated passage, and by the way, we're... We're just going to skip around uh, here in chapter 8, and I would encourage you to read it, meditate on it, go back over it, sit down with a notebook and take, uh, put down some questions or comments. Um, but at this point, I just want to point out very briefly, and then we will park on verse 14, First of all, why bother endeavoring to walk after the Spirit? First of all, you notice that it, as you read the chapter, it speaks about the mind that is set on the flesh is death. Okay, now let me, let me tease that apart for a minute and just explain. Remember um, the last couple of weeks we talked about the flesh? Remember that it's not... Uh, here in Romans, it's not about the physical body, but rather it is the sinful nature. Uh, parts of us, in fact, every part of us is sautéed in sin. That's part of, of our, to use another picture, it's part of our um, makeup of, of our DNA that have the opportunity we will sin especially if we are committed to a life that is self-motivated, self-directed, self-driven, then guaranteed we will produce the fruit of the flesh. And we see that in, in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says, look, it is really easy to tell the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. The character that is being produced by the Spirit of God is this, 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 and this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. The character that is produced by a life that is self-motivated, self-driven, even religious and moral, morally upstanding kind of uh, person, it still eventually will produce the fruit of the flesh. And oddly enough, the rabbis understood some of that. Um, in a commentary by a, a middle age, a rabbi from the Middle Ages, rather, <laughs> Rabbi Kimchi on um, Isaiah chapter 64, 
that states all our righteousness are as filthy rags, what he said is, look, even when we do things that we consider to be noble and charitable and so on, even then, there is part of the picture is tainted because we, we never come with an attitude that is absolutely uh, altruistic and holy, but there's usually an attitude on our part that says, did you notice me? I just did something very charitable. And he has a good point. So everything that is self-motivated, self-propelled, produced by our thinking, our understanding, our power, will produce sooner or later the works of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh. And Paul gives us a whole nasty list of the fruits of the flesh. So part of it, of course, is what is being produced in your life? Do you see progress towards God? Do you see life being poured into your life from God? Or do you see that you are fussing and fuming and struggling in, fr- in frustration at yourself and everybody else? No bony fingers being pointed here. Um, as we will see also, it relates to control issues. Who is the driver in your life? Who has control in your life? Who makes the decisions in your life? Who sets the agenda? Do you have an agenda that you have designed and set? A wonderful agenda? Doesn't have anything to do with God. Did you consult God in the making of the agenda? Did you bother to say, God, before I start making the agenda, I want to sit and consult with you. What is your agenda? Would you direct me and show me what is the agenda that you have in mind? And of course we say, you know, why would God talk to me? God will talk to Rabbi David. God will talk to, to Elaine. Uh, why would God talk to me? And folks, that is rank unbelief. It is a slam against ourselves because we consider ourselves to be stupid and spiritually dense. But really, the worst part of it, it is a slam against God because we wrongly assume that He is incapable of getting through the titanium plates here. So there's control issues, and of course there's mindset issues. What are we focused on? What Paul is saying here in these verses, that the mind that is set on the flesh, the self, will result in death. It will not produce good things. But I wanted to focus in park on verse 14 here because to me that is the meat of this chapter and I want to reread it with you. For if you live according, verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live because 
Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. So let's first of all talk about the second part, sons and daughters of God. When was the last time that you really had the strong sense that I am the Lord's kid? Do you know that you're the Lord's kid? Um, Do you know that scripture says, yet to those who received him, Yeshua, to those who believed in, in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Amen. That because of that, because we have embraced Yeshua as our Messiah, um, we have the right to say, Abba, Father. And furthermore, in verse 15 of this chapter, we're told, you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, my Father. Now, a lot of times we look at that and say, well, that's very nice. I don't have the warm fuzzies. You know, uh, when I pray, I don't feel the presence of God. I don't sense the, that he is really my heavenly father. In fact, when I think of the word father, it brings all kinds of horrific connotations to mind. But my earthly father who tried to do right but was a miserable father. And as from time to time I pointed the reality that, that most of us have father issues of one kind or another. An earthly father who perhaps had brokenness and didn't understand the need to, to be a father and uh, didn't seem to care, etc., etc. So we assume that God is like that as well. And so the uh, embracing the truth of the Word of God, that we are God's kids, is not something that comes naturally to us. Nonetheless, we have to park on what on the truth of the word of God, not on the particular feelings we have at a, at a point in time. Amen. And simply say, Father, Abba, Father, I, I, I don't feel anything at, at this point. But your word says that, that I'm your child, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. Because of that, I receive it. And I pray that you would somehow work it into my operating system that that would become part of who I am, that I will get the fact that I'm your son or your daughter and that that will anchor me so that I'm not blown by everything so that people ask you who you are, you will say, eh, I don't know, I do this, I do that, I do the other. But you will say, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God. And that, folks, to me, I hope to many or most or all of us, that makes all the difference in the world. And what it means is that if we're good, bad, or ugly, we're still sons and daughters of God. That we don't have to try and earn His love, that we don't have to produce X units of spiritual whatever, but we simply have to learn to walk 
and to trust God for that to become embedded, you know, to, to come through the reality of who we are so that we live as sons and daughters of God. If that's not the case with you, I'd like to invite you today, when we close the service, to have a serious chat with God Almighty just about that topic. If you've never received Yeshua as your Messiah, never entered into a relationship with God, take the time today to do that. If you and the Father are at odds with each other, take time today to set things straight. And notice what Paul then in the first part explains to us that we who are sons and, and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. Let me backtrack here for just a minute. I see this as a huge issue for us who are believers. I saw that, by the way, at the seminary as I was talking to the students. And by the way, when I walked out, I had this clear sense that this was not about me. And thank you for your wonderful words of affirmation, Elaine. But I had a clear sense that this was about God. Folks, I've been teaching scripture for 35 years, and what came out wasn't my cleverness. The Lord put his words in my mouth, and part of what I saw with these students is a basic lack of security in their relationship with the Father. That if you don't know and understand and appreciate who you are as a son and daughter of God, you will always want to add things instead of parking on the truth that the Father loved you and he lavished his love upon you. The way I saw it was a couple of the students talked about the new covenant and um, their, their questions was more or less as follows. Um, we're part of the new covenant so everything that Israel has belongs to us. And I had the chutzpah to say to them, yes and no. <laughs> the wonderful blessings of sonship and daughtership, as it were, is yours. God has lavished his love upon you. What else do you need? And what I endeavor to explain to them is that each of us has a different calling, has a different assignment, has a different uh, task that God gives us. And it doesn't mean that we're inferior or superior. What it simply means is that Abba Father in his knowledge and his wisdom gave different assignments to different people. And Israel was given a particular assignment to be a light to the nations. That hasn't changed. That is to be completed and fulfilled. 
And so each of us has a different calling. And so the fact that God still has a unique portion for Israel doesn't mean that he is indifferent to those who are not physically part of Israel. And if you feel that way, let me encourage you to dive into what Scripture says about the awesomeness of who we are as children of God. Let me come back to the first part of the verse. Because we who are, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Very emphatic, very strong language. What it literally is saying, that those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are really the sons of God. Implication is that if you're not walking and being led by the Spirit of God, there's something seriously wrong that you are out of line with God's strategy and God's will for you. Because the normal pattern is that if you're a son and daughter of God, you are led by His Spirit who lives in you. It's normal to be led by the Spirit of God. And furthermore, it's not just something that happens one time um, when somebody, somebody lays hands on you and, and you fall and, and you speak in, in angelic languages. But rather, this is an, uh, the language here, again, is also very clear, very emphatic, that walking after the Spirit, being led by the Spirit is an ongoing life pattern, folks. So this doesn't mean that we need to beat ourselves up if we don't sense that we've been led of the Spirit, but, but simply to stop and say, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Again, if we're to take... Uh, do a, a mini survey, survey here, I imagine we would get probably twice as many opinions as there are people here. And one of the most common uh, response to walking after the Spirit is being able to express the pizzazz and the spectacular that comes from the special spiritual gifts that God gives. In other words, it re- refers to power that if you are led by the Spirit of God, that you have all kinds of power. And, and the explanation is something like this. The Spirit of God is it, sort of like a force, a bit like the electricity, you know, that you have a tool, and you and I are tools. And so without the Holy Spirit, without us being plugged, we cannot, uh, we cannot function properly. And then as soon as we plug in, to the outlet, to the Holy Spirit, then we get going. Again, the answer is yes and no. Because the basic understanding of being led by the Spirit of God means 
that you and I are not the ones who are doing the leading. That if we are the ones who are huffing and puffing, you bet that the Spirit of God is not leading us. Because everything comes from us. We're self-motivated, self-directed, etc. But it starts with the attitude that we talked about last Shabbat. And that is, are you ready for this? That we bring nothing to the table as far as God is concerned. Now that's, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard to accept. Because we want to say, God, you know, you've given me all these gifts and I'm pretty cool and I can do this, that, and the other. And the answer is, you have zero without God. That's tough. That's real tough. That's the baseline. And um, we begin with that. And there's freedom with that, folks. Because we don't feel like we have to prove anything to God, to ourselves, or to anybody else. That what takes place in us will be God-driven, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. It will be all about Him, not about us. We are not the ones who want it to be on display. We want that God will be on display. So part of the picture is our learning to say, God, like John, Yohanan the Matbil, John the Immerser, Lord, I want you to increase, I want me to decrease. Now folks, that's not death to self or self-flagellation. It doesn't mean that, that we climb up the stairs somewhere um, on our knees and, and etc., What it simply means is a basic attitude that says, my life is about God. And that if we are indeed, as Paul tells us, if we're indeed walking after the Spirit, and if our mind is set on the things that matter to God, we're not going to be walking around grumpily, you know, I have to beat the flesh. But there'll be life. There'll be life, folks, because God pours his life into us and it overflows. And scripture is full of all kinds of examples like that. I just wanted to read a couple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make you pass straight. Do you really believe that you have to figure things out? I mean, think about it. There's a problem. I need to figure out so I can fix it. Well, if God was not in the picture, then that would be the right approach. Since God is in the picture, you back up and you say, Lord, here's a mess. Now, how do you want this to be fixed? What do you want for me to do? How are we going? Are we, God and you, going to work on that? Isaiah thirty. This is what the Lord God said: "The Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness is trust, is your strength." But no, you would have none of it. 
In other words, we specialize in being stupid. God says, I have a good way for you to, to walk. You need to sit down. You need to be quiet. You need to listen. You need to allow my ruach, my spirit to lead you. And you don't want to go that route. Instead, you want to go the huffing and puffing, which produces ab absolutely nothing positive. Again, all of that comes back to the basic issue of, do you understand that you're a son and daughter of God? Because if you do, then you'll have a basic conviction that as you need the instruction, you will hold out your hand and they will be there. Sometimes instantly, sometimes not. Sometimes it takes a while. But sooner or later, God will teach you how to listen and how to follow. If you have the heart to do that. I want to read to you a couple of verses from this chapter, but from a paraphrase called The Message by Eugene Peterson. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Walking after the flesh is an invitation to be OCD all the time. Obsession with self is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone who is absorbed in himself, ignores God, end up thinking about himself or herself rather than God. On the other hand, the opposite means that our relationship with God blossoms. The Spirit of God leads us into life, leads us into freedom. And we have choices to make. We all have choices to make, folks. I don't know about you, I'm confronted with these choices every single day. Joy and I, as most of you know, are raising a, um, a 10 soon to become 11 year old and we're seeing some preteen pre um, signs of uh, symptoms of behavior and uh, that was especially true when we came back from Israel and my first inclination was to sit down with him or before I sit down with him apply the hand of wisdom to the seed of knowledge. <laughs> and um, I realized that things were such that I would have to do that r repeatedly over and over again and that probably it still wouldn't make any sense. And I backed up and said, okay, Lord, what, what do you want done here? I'm, I'm clueless. I can't get inside his, his innards and fix, fix his thought patterns and his emotions. 
I'm not going to stand here and tell you that life has been absolutely hunky-dory and glorious and everything is wonderful. It's a process, folks. It's a process. Learning to walk after the Spirit is a process. We sometimes take baby steps. And it simply begins by our saying, Lord, would you please lead me by your Spirit? Show me where to go. Give me the need of discernment. Give me the need of power that I will do not what I think, but what you want. And we get focused on that. And that is our priority. And that's where we point our nose And you know what? God is gracious to respond and to do that. And no, we don't always get a liver shiver. You know, there's this awesome feeling that comes over us. But it happens. It happens, folks. And your life is transformed and you see the fruit of the Spirit being produced in you. And you know it's not you, it's God. And you say, Lord, this is good stuff. I want more. I want the fullness. And then you learn to follow that awful, un-American word called wait. Wait. You learn to wait and hang in there with God and wait for Him to do what He wants to be done. Part of the lesson you learn is that God is not into two-by-fours. We often hear this lie that the only way God can communicate to us is with a two-by-four. You know, I, I have a very vivid picture when I was a kid in Israel we still had um, donkeys and, and mules being used, believe it or not. You wouldn't know it by going to Israel now. Um, and I vividly remember this guy who was doing some construction work, and he had a, a cart uh, that was pulled by a mule. And uh, he wanted the mule to go forward, and the mule stood there and was highly muley. And uh, this fellow had a discussion with with a mule and finally realized that the mule needed something more vigorous. And he took a shovel and whooped the uh, mule across the head and, uh, and the mule got the message and moved. And we have this notion, folks, that that's what God wants to do with us, that that's his option A. And folks, that's a lie. That is a lie. If we know and understand the Father's heart for us, that we will understand the fact that He wants to speak to us and lead us with His eye upon us. Like a father prepares to teach a child how to walk. You know how it is when they start to walk and, and they, they take a couple of steps and fall and... Um, That's the Father's heart. And as we embrace that and we believe the truth about who God is and who He wants to be in our life, then then I I know from my own, what Scripture says, what I've seen, my own life and the life of others, 
then God will speak in ways that we can get it. Even though we are naturally inclined to be stupid sometimes. But it's a process. It's a process. Just want to conclude with a, a personal example. You know, I went through a real tough time um, in my youth. You know how it is when you go through 20s and 30s and you don't have someone to walk with you and kind of give you some clues. And um, so there was this fellow who was an evangelist, a good kind of evangelist. Um, and um, I asked him to lay hands on me, pray that, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he didn't. What he said was, you need to fall in love with Yeshua. And that's been my motto. And at the same time, I see that the Word of God speaks a lot about the Spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Well, I knew that it certainly doesn't come from me. So I've been praying. I've been praying that God will do that in my life. And first of all, it was the notion of, okay, God, I need some juice here. Uh, fill me with your Spirit. And... Uh, it wasn't forthcoming. It was kind of, God, what's the matter? And at some point I realized that what the fullness of the Spirit is about, folks, is not what we can do, but what God can do. Amen. Why? Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us communicates to us the presence of God, communicates to us the mystery that we're God's children and then whatever we need, by way of power, by way of wisdom, flows out of that relationship. So I simply want to invite you today to do likewise. To pray that God will fill you to the full, to the brim with His Spirit. Beginning with a deep, deep, deep sense of conviction that you're Abba's child, Abba's son or Abba's daughter, that everything will flow from there. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name. Thank you that you indeed lavished your love upon us that we should be called your, your kids. And uh, we're overwhelmed by that, Lord. Because we recognize that we do not deserve your love. We do not deserve to have that precious title of your children. And, and we revel in it. We, we, we rejoice in it. We uh, rest in it. We thank you, Lord, that it isn't about how good or bad we are. And it isn't about... Uh, what we produce, but Lord God, that it is all about your presence in our life increasing. And Lord, we ask for that. We ask for each and every single person who is here, young and old, Lord God, that you would give us that passion to see greater manifestation of your presence in our life as individuals 
and corporately as a mishpacha. We pray, Lord God, that for each one of us, that you'll give us the eyes of understanding, Lord, to see, Lord, what it needs to look like in our life and where you want to take us. And Lord God, that we would gladly yield to you and say, Abba, Father, we, we desire that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come. And so, Lord, we ask that in confidence, knowing that you are at work both to will and to do your good pleasure in us. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.